This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Howdy and welcome to Portable Beats, the pediatric board review podcast. Today we've got another great episode for you written by our wonderful Liz Grogan. Hi guys. And I'm your host Ryan. So let's jump right in. Last week we talked about cyanotic congenital heart disease and today we're talking about acyanotic congenital heart disease. So our case, a two and a half week old infant presents to the emergency department with poor feeding and decreased urine output for the past 24 hours. She's tachycardic, tachypnic, and in acute distress. An ABG from her right wrist is obtained, and her PaO2 is greater than 100 millimeters of mercury with signs of metabolic acidosis. She has had no fevers or other sick symptoms. You obtain four extremity blood pressures, and there is a 25 millimeter of mercury gradient between the right upper extremity and the lower extremities. Which murmur is associated with the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, a fixed split S2, loudest at the pulmonic region? Is it B, a harsh pan-systolic murmur? Is it C, no murmur? Is it D, a continuous machine-like murmur over the left precordium? Or is it E, a harsh systolic murmur that is loudest on the back? We'll give you a sec to pause. The case is in the show notes if you want to read it, and we'll be back in a sec. So the correct answer is E, a harsh systolic murmur that is loudest on the back, which is the murmur commonly associated with a coarctation of the aorta. So Liz, you want to walk us through some of the answers? Sure. So before we get to the answer choices, let's quickly review. In contrast to the case from last week, this patient is presenting slightly later in life and their PaO2 is greater than 100 millimeters of mercury. These findings point away from cyanotic heart disease and instead suggest acyanotic heart disease. Let's go through some of the common causes of these acyanotic congenital heart diseases. So the first murmur described in answer A refers to an atrial septal defect or an ASD, which is due to an abnormal connection between the right and left atria. This is actually the most commonly diagnosed form of adult CHD because so many ASDs are undiagnosed until the patient undergoes an echo for an unrelated reason. An ASD ultimately leads to a left-to-right shunt with increased diastolic blood volume in the right ventricle and a right-sided chamber dilation. ASDs typically present with a murmur at the 4-6 to month well-child check. The murmur is most commonly described as a fixed split S2 that is loudest at the pulmonic region. There may or may not be a diastolic murmur at the left lower sternal border. An ASD is hemodynamically significant if it leads to enlargement of the right atrium or the right ventricle. If these ASDs are hemodynamically significant, then closure is indicated at three to four years of age, usually done in the cath lab. Of note, ASDs that are less than five millimeters will typically close on their own. The murmur described in answer choice B is classic and ventricular septal defects, or VSDs. These are due to an abnormal connection between the ventricles, and their size is described relative to the size of the aortic valve. 
The murmur in a VSD may not be present at birth, but it will develop as the pulmonary vascular resistance falls with age. The murmur is typically described as a harsh pansystolic murmur. A chest x-ray may be normal or it may demonstrate cardiomegaly with pulmonary venous congestion depending on the size of the VSD. An EKG may demonstrate left or biventricular hypertrophy, again, dependent on the size of the VSD. With VSDs, especially those that are perimembranous, there is a risk of prolapse of the aortic valve leaflet into the VSD. While 75 to 80% will close spontaneously by two years of life, larger lesions may require surgical or catheter closure. The timing of intervention depends on the symptoms. If symptomatic, repair will be performed in infancy. Otherwise, repair typically occurs when the patients are toddlers. Now, what about the other answer choices, Brian? So answer choice C refers to a complete atrioventricular septal defect, also known as an AVSD, or an AV canal, which is a large hole in the center of the heart, allowing for the connection of all four chambers with one common atrioventricular valve instead of two. This defect is due to abnormalities in proliferation and fusion of the endocardial cushions. An important association to keep in mind is that about 50% of patients with an AVSD will also have trisomy 21, or Down syndrome. In a complete AVSD, there often is not a murmur due to equalization of pressures. If a murmur is present, it typically is a diastolic rumble with a systolic ejection or pansystolic murmur. Surgical intervention typically occurs around four to six months of age. By contrast, the murmur in answer choice D refers to a patent ductus arteriosus, or a PDA, which is the persistence of a normal fetal connection between the aorta and the pulmonary artery. In normal development, this structure typically functionally closes in 24 hours and anatomically closes in about 3 to 4 weeks. When present, a PDA classically presents as a continuous, machine-like murmur over the left precordium. This lesion can lead to pulmonary overcirculation and left heart enlargement. Treatment includes medical management with endomethacin, ibuprofen, or Tylenol versus catheter closure versus surgical ligation. Finally, the murmur in answer choice E was our correct answer, as the presentation and murmur described should clue you into a coarctation of the aorta, which is due to a discrete narrowing of the aorta. So if it's severe, it may be detected by the CCHD screen or the Critical Congenital Heart Disease screen completed on newborns in the nursery. However, a normal CCHD screen does not rule out a coarctation. If a patient with severe coarctation is not detected on the CCHD, then they may present around two to three weeks of age in extremis with a shock-like picture that is not responsive to fluids, may be associated with poor feeding, decreased urine output, and a metabolic acidosis, as was seen in our patient. Less extreme cases may be detected at the pediatrician's office in patients who present with diminished femoral pulses or a greater than 20 millimeters of mercury blood pressure gradient between the right upper and a lower extremity. Some patients may not present until adolescence when they're diagnosed due to a workup for hypertension, and patients will classically have a harsh systolic murmur that's loudest on their back. One other important feature is that a coarctation is associated with Turner's syndrome, and about 85% of patients with coarctation will have a bicuspid aortic valve. And one final piece of review that we wanted to mention for coarctation is the mention of a preductal versus a postductal sap. So in this case and throughout the talk here, we talked about getting a right upper extremity blood pressure and a right upper extremity pulse ox. That's because we're talking about preductal versus postductal sats. Well, that about does it for this week's episode. Thanks again so much to Liz for writing all of our cases for the month on cardiology, as she is our budding cardiologist. If you guys wouldn't mind going and rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts on Spotify or otherwise. And I know in a couple weeks ago, we shouted out the different countries of the, of the world that were listening to our podcast, and we're so grateful. But we see there's different states throughout the United States who are listening. Yeah, we record in Ohio, but I see Illinois, California, Georgia, Texas. We see you guys, too. We appreciate you guys for listening. 
Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week for our review episode. Happy studying!